Welcome to this week's message from Rabbi Kevin Solomon, Senior Rabbi of Congregation Beth Hillel in Roswell, Georgia. Beth Hillel is one of the largest Messianic Jewish synagogues in the world and provides a place where Jewish people can find the Messiah, Yeshua, Jesus in Hebrew, and retain their Jewishness. It's also where Gentiles worship and embrace the roots of the faith in drawing closer to God. Click the link in the description to support this ministry or to view our YouTube channel. Let's join Rabbi Kevin now as he shares this word from Scripture. Well, I'm really excited uh, today. Uh, boy, you know, we coordinated this some time ago. Who would have known that the timing was precisely like right now in the midst of everything? Uh, I've worked with Rabbi David Schneier for many years. We both sit on the board of the, uh, of the leadership of the Messianic Jewish Alliance of America, the IAMCS, the International Alliance of Messianic Congregations and Synagogues. For many years, he and I have worked together on this board. It's kind of the it's the largest synagogal organization in the Messianic Jewish movement, and, uh, but in particular, Rabbi David is the European liaison. He's the one who is our liaison to all the European congregations. Now, why was he chosen for this very important role, kind of overseeing Europe, really, for the Messianic movement in many ways, and, uh, and, and at least for the IMCS, and, uh, and it's because he spent a lot of time there for a dozen years, he was the leader of the, of the Messianic congregation in Odessa, Ukraine. Okay, I don't need to really say more than that to tell you that uh, this is very deep and profound for him personally right now. He's still the overseer of that congregation, which planted other congregations in Ukraine. He's still in regular contact. He's, he's texting. Even today, yesterday, he's talking on Zoom. With, with some of the Messianic leaders that are in the country of Ukraine right now. Uh, these are his friends. These are his people who he's mentored. Uh, these are people he cares about, his loved ones. So he's very intimately familiar with what's going on there and having lived there for all those years. Previous to that, from the Pennsylvania and went to New York University, George Washington received his law degree as an attorney on top of being a rabbi. That's a lot of letters, I'm telling you. He's very esteemed, both he and his wife are attorneys, uh, and so you can imagine when they get into it. <laughs> it's something else. Uh, but in any case, he's going to share with us today, he's going to share with us an update about what's going on in Ukraine with his, from, from his contacts on the ground, uh, in addition to giving us a word that I think is going to help and encourage us and, and speak to us that relates much to what's going on. So let's give him a bit. He's also, I should say, the, he's also concurrently the senior rabbi of congregation Beth Hallel Birmingham, which is a congregation that... Uh, my father and our congregation planted many years ago and their own independent congregation now, but it's our sister congregation in Birmingham, Alabama. Uh, and so we're very, very blessed to have him, and we appreciate Bethel of Birmingham lending him to us for the weekend. Rabbi David Schneier! <laughs> well, it's a great blessing to be back here at Bethel in Atlanta. 
and uh, I'm sure our congregation is <coughs> has been really been blessed by this congregation. And so here I am, and I'm glad to share with you a word. <coughs> Strange title. I don't know about other speakers, but generally titles are not simple for me. I was going to try to give a title. Anyway, this one is Ukraine invaded, exclamation point. Are we, this country, still a nation of promise keepers? So we're going to be talking about keeping promises, and then we're going to talk about what's going on in Ukraine. Because <clears throat> those two subjects are very, very connected. So I asked myself a question. Oh, and by the way, being a rabbi and a lawyer, uh, having short talks is not simple, so I'll do my best to get you out today. <clears throat> so let's start with this question. Is it important to Adonai that individuals and even nations keep their word? So let's look at that. This is the spiritual part. I'm going to tell you the update. What, what's important about keeping our word? Well, in uh, James, also known as Jacob, three uh, verses two to five, here's what's written. If someone does not stumble in speech, he's a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body as well. Well, that would leave out all of us because we're not perfect in speech. <clears throat> and if we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we guide their whole body as well. They also see ships. Though they're very large and driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder. Wherever the will of the pilot directs the ship. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. See how, how so small a fire sets ablaze so great uh, a forest. Promises are spoken words. And, and we'll see right now from the scripture how important it is the words we use to tell somebody we're going to do something or not do something. And I guarantee you this is going to connect to the United States, the United Kingdom, and Russia. Promises are commitments. They have an effect on others for good or for bad. As followers of Yeshua, if we make promises to someone or to our nation or to the Lord, we must keep those promises. So if you promise to do something, I'll make it come down to a very low level, and I tell our congregation this. If you say you're going to be an usher this week, you're working with the children, all those things that you said, your promise affects others and others are counting on you. Those promises are as important as the promises of nations. As followers of Yeshua, if we make promise to someone or a nation or to God, I just said, we must keep those promises. Proverbs 12.22, it's written, Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who deal truthfully are his delight. Breaking your promises then is a form of lying to the one to whom you gave your promise. We have to focus on that because, you know, it's easy to say, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, and then you don't do it. And it doesn't seem like a big thing, but it is a huge thing. For example, try to think if you've ever done this. 
when you tell God that if he gets you out of this trial, <coughs> you will do this and that. Then when he gets you out of the trial, what are you supposed to do? You're supposed to keep your word, not procrastinate, not seek compromise, don't f and not find a way out. If you said it, well, famous hippie book said, do it. Just go ahead and do it. God always keeps his word and expects us to do the same. He's not a man that he should lie. And nobody, nobody in this room watching on the internet, <clears throat> when someone uh, doesn't like it, when someone doesn't live up to their word, if you made a promise to someone or to God and you broke your promise, here's the way you deal with it. You repent, you learn from your mistake, you fulfill your promise, or you make restitution. And by fulfill your promise, the only person that can let you out of that promise is the person that you promised to. So if you say, well, I, I just can't be here, uh, you know, well, well, I'll give you an example, Purim. I should be in the synagogue, correct? Yes. Well, it's Leslie's aunt's 100th birthday. So what should we do? Should we say, well, <laughs> we'll see you next year if you make it? No. We're, we're going to go, and someone else is going to have to do my work on that day. But I talked to people about it. I didn't just say, well, sorry. And it's important to, for us to treat our promises um, as important. Ecclesiastes 5, verse 2 and 4 and 6, it's written there. <clears throat> Do not be rash with your mouth, and let not your heart utter anything hastily before God. For God is in heaven, and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. When you make a vow to God, do not delay to pay it. For he has no, this is interesting, for he has no pleasure in fools. That's kind of rough. Do not let your mouth cause your flesh to sin, nor say before the messenger of God, oh, my, my promise, to paraphrase, that was an error. That's not the time when you say, God, oh, yeah, I did say that, but sorry. I just can't do it. No, you're not going to tell God I, I was mistaken. Numbers 30, verse 2, it's written, <clears throat> Whenever a man makes a vow to Adonai or swears an oath to obligate himself by a pledge, he is not to violate his word but do everything coming out of his mouth. And finally, Yeshua said in Matthew 5, 33, You have heard that it was said to our people long ago, Don't break your promises but keep the promises you make to the Lord. And I would say, if you can observe this, you shall love to God and also to your neighbor when you keep your word. Now, I'm going somewhere with this because there are nations involved in what's happening in Ukraine. Psalm 15, verses 2 and 4 has a lot to say about keeping your word, where it's written, Lord... And this one, you really should read this whole psalm. Lord, who may abide in your tabernacle? Who will dwell in your holy hill? Who's going to heaven? Who's going to be with you? And then verse 4. Oh, well, let me go on to verse 2. He who walks uprightly and works righteousness and speaks the truth in his heart. And then verse 4. He who swears to his own hurt and does not change. 
So Adonai is saying to us in these verses uh, and to your congregation here, even to our nation, it's better to suffer hurt than to break your word. So if you promise to do something, but it seems like you can't do it, you need to do it or be released. That's what I'm trying to instruct you is what the word is saying. We need to fulfill our promises on time when you said you were going to do it. Not just you do it. Not Two years later, that's not what you really promised. If some reason you can't perform, get in touch with the person you gave your word to go word to ahead of time and work out how to resolve it. It's my conviction that if you can't do something, you need to call the person and you need, you need to find somebody else. Now, they may not work that way here, but as far as I'm concerned, if you can't do something, then find somebody, because it's easy to say, oh, I can't do it, and you go find somebody, but why should that be? So that's the way we handle it, but uh, each place has a different way of doing things. So listen, as I now move into nations, if you can be faithful in small things, like promises, you will be given the opportunity to be faithful in much. And believe me, as I've been a leader of congregations since 1995, uh, my wife and I became followers of Yeshua in 1973. We, from the very beginning, we were in Messianic congregations and all through that time. And the total of all the congregations in this 40, uh, 49 years has been maybe four uh, all over the world. So uh, leaders look for people who are faithful in the little things before they can be faithful in greater things. So what about nations? Do nations have to keep their word? Well, Adonai thinks so. In Deuteronomy 30, verse 15 and 16, it's written, See, I have set before you today life and good and death and evil. What I am commanding you to do today is to love Adonai your God, to walk in his ways, to keep his misvote, statutes, and ordinances. Then you will live and multiply, and Adonai your God will bless you in the land you are going to. And then we fast forward to... Um, We'll actually go backwards to Exodus 19. God says again, hey, if you do what I'm telling you to do, you're going to be blessed. And what did all of B'nai Israel say? Verse 8, I love this. <clears throat> all the people, all of them answered together and said, everything that Adonai has spoken, we will do. Well, historically, that wasn't accurate. <laughs> they, they did a lot of what he told them not to do. But he says, I'm going to do this for you. You've just got to do what I have to say. And they said, they promised Adonai. This was a commitment on the part of both Adonai on one side and his chosen people on the other. There were benefits for obedience and consequences for disobedience for the nation of Israel. So now let's go into Ukraine. And some of this, uh, you know, I was a history major in, uh, at NYU and in law and know about people creating documents and making promises. Well, let's take Ukraine, Russia, and the uh, uh, US and the UK. So um, just a little background. 
we moved to Odessa in 1995, lived there to 2007, have been going at least twice a year to Ukraine from 2007 to 2020. We have many close friends there, now 27 years uh, of friendship. And we know what we're talking about when it comes to Ukraine. Why? Because we live there. We understand. When I got there, they had just received freedom. And uh, I, not long after being there, I said to them, do you know that you shouldn't count on everything being free forever here? Things can change quickly. And they had a saying there in Ukraine, uh, someone working in an office gets a phone call. And all that's said on the phone is, old system, boom. And the communist system comes right back. And it can happen like that there. Well, it just did happen, didn't it? And so that's what they were facing. So in Ukraine, most of you know some of these facts. But you knew that there was 190,000 Russian troops at the Ukrainian border. What if they were at the US border? Would, would we be, well, what kind of sanctions can we put? <laughs> it's, you know, it's when you're, you're in a, a, system, a system that is really led by a dictator, they are, understand certain things. And I'm going forward, but I just saw a movie called um, Munich something. And it was the whole thing about Chamberlain negotiating with Hitler. And he kept on saying, you know, I can believe, I understand him, and I'm going to, uh, you know, he's going to bend here. And he said he wasn't going to take anything else. Czechoslovakia, part of it was enough. And then Poland and uh, Austria and all these things happened because we believed that somehow this guy was good at heart. Well. We know what the Russian system is like because we lived there just after they got freedom. So, uh, and the United States warned uh, uh, the Russians that they uh, would suffer if they actually moved ahead in an invasion. And then, well, a small invasion, that's okay. You know, it's just no idea who you're dealing with. There. These are serious people that do what they want to do. Satellite photos showed uh, Russian military hardware, self propelled guns, missiles, battle tanks, um, infantry vehicles, all close to the uh, uh, Ukrainian border. What did everybody think that was going to happen? Obviously, this is an invasion. Can you imagine the finances that Russia had to do to get all those guys there and get ready for a war? You think the guy's going to say, oh, yeah, never mind. No, that's not what happened. There were 21,000 air and sea personnel there, tactical missiles, uh, people in the cities of Nikolaev, which is very near to Odessa. Uh, the cities have already been bombed. But basically, it's missiles. And in Western Ukraine, Lvov, and that's where my uh, grandparents came from, Western Ukraine. They're firing, and it, it's like, I see you have a problem, but firing into cities, uh, well, what's that, what's that about? It's undone. The eastern regions, there's been a war 
since 2014. It's all backed by Russia, the equipment. And Victor Valensky, who has come and spoken at Bethel, Birmingham, he leads about eight congregations in Crimea. Crimea used to be Ukraine. Now Russia just plain out marched in and took it over. Victor had a great saying. He said, I fell asleep in one country and woke up in another. And can you imagine that? And then, you know, Victor is quite a character. He has a Messianic Jewish rehab center for drug addicts in Crimea and several places. He used to head up a hospital for rehabilitation. And so he, he, he just, um, for the first time in Russian history, a Messianic Jewish congregation was approved as a standalone congregation in the entire former Soviet Union. Victor went to Moscow several times and can't imagine how intimidating that was. And now he's already lived on, since uh, 2014, he's lived under Soviet rule. Well, they just sent thousands of troops through Crimea into Ukraine where President Putin named it those areas, those two areas in eastern Ukraine, which has a lot of the minerals of Ukraine, uh, they said they are now independent countries. Who declares, can you imagine someone saying, okay, well, Georgia and Alabama, they're now independent countries, and you, you know, who would even think that way? But that's what's going on there, the unthinkable. Um, right now, truthfully, the entire Ukraine of 40, 50 million people, one of the largest countries in Europe, is surrounded by invading armies. How many of you saw the little story about the little island in the Black Sea? Uh, I thought it was closer to Odessa, but it's closer to Romania. So the Romanians are probably very concerned right now. Well, the Soviet ships showed up, and they told them to uh, just give up and no one will be killed. And the, the commander there had a very artful saying for the Russian fleet, and uh, it reminds me of what happened in World War II when the Germans said to the uh, American army, you've got to surrender, and the response was nuts. <laughs> so this was even more colorful, and they were all killed, 13 people. They just said, we're not giving up, because it's strategic island in the Black Sea. So um, so Victor saying, I, I was uh, one country, and the next day was another, like, the, well, that's the way it is. That's the way things go here now. The cities of Odessa, where Sasha Popasov, we're going to show a little clip in a little bit, is uh, 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 running the congregation there. And the city of Nikolai, which is also a big port, uh, why do you think they're doing it? Because the unthinkable, they're thinking the unthinkable, they're going to invade the only real big ports and take them over of Ukraine. And can you imagine what's going to happen to their economy if they do that? So then the question comes, have the nations guaranteed to protect Ukraine? Have they given Ukraine their word? Have they given Ukraine a promise? And most people, and you don't hear about this a lot, most people don't know, but the truth is they did. Russia, the United States, and the United Kingdom, 
were negotiating with Ukraine to get rid of their nuclear missiles. And so they said, well, we'll do that, but you have to give us some guarantees of protection because we're these nuclear missiles are going to keep people from bothering us. And so both the United States, Russia, and the United Kingdom agreed to this in 1994. It's called the Budapest Memorandum on Security Assurances, December 5th, 1994. Look it up. It was an agreement in accordance with the principles of the Helsinki Accords and the memorandum that was agreed to by these countries included security assurances that uh, against the threat or use of force against Ukraine's territory or political independence. They all signed that and it's still in effect. Uh, Putin had a word about that, I'll mention that later, but the United States is a signatory, and they are obligated to defend the territory of Ukraine, and they just are not talking about it at all. Um, Ukraine uh, agreed to this non-proliferation treaty, uh, and uh, this was a condition for this START agreement, um, and they even later said if the START agreement expires, and I believe it has, that the uh, Budapest Memorandum would be in effect. So all the uh, Russia and the United States agreed to that in 2009. Well, things, uh, the last little bit of history that you need to know, uh, in 2004, <coughs> while we were in living in Ukraine, uh, the guy running for president which was not Vladimir Putin's choice. Uh, he had a little visit from the KGB, and the next day found out he was uh, poisoned by somebody. Uh, it's dioxin, uh, which is in Agent Orange, was put into his food, and he nearly died. So, there, well, we can't get rid of this guy, so we'll kill him. And the only place where that poison was made nearby was Russia. So he got sick after being with the Russian KGB. Then in 2014, there was a revolution. How many of you remember the photos and the videos of this gigantic revolution? And um, the choice of President uh, Putin, this man by the name of Viktor Yanukovych, <coughs> the elections were completely compromised. And to me, I'm saying, does that sound familiar? Completely, and Stalin has a quote. He used to say, it's not who votes that counts. It's, it's what counts is who counts the votes. So the whole thing is about, so you could win and lose because the votes counters were in the pocket of the ruling uh, forces. Well, the guy who was Poison didn't die, but the puppet of uh, Russia became president in, in totally corrupt elections. And, and then December 2014, the Ukraine Supreme Court said, this election was totally bogus. They removed the Russian puppet, and uh, he quickly left 
Ukraine with, with some people say, is billion dollars. So it stole Ukrainian money. So after that thing happened in uh, 2014, Russian troops entered the Crimean Peninsula of Ukraine, took it over. And uh, it was, no, the West did nothing. And the 1994 election uh, memorandum was not adhered to. So here is Putin's response. Here's why he d did what he did. He said, the security assurances of uh, uh, 1994 were given to the legitimate government of Ukraine, but not to the forces that came to power following a coup d'etat. So he said, well, the government there is not legitimate. And he also said recently in his speech, Ukraine is not really a country. It belongs to us. So some people say, well, he just wants a kind of peace in eastern Ukraine. It's not true. He wants it all back. So the United States, Russia, and the United Kingdom promised to defend Ukraine. And then there's 190,000 Russian troops at the border. Russia then inv invaded Ukraine, Ukraine on um, February uh, 23rd. And you, you've seen the images of burning cities. And uh, in fact, in Kiev, though, there was a group of Ukrainian soldiers who decided enough, enough, and they fought back, and they took back an airport port that was taken by the Russians. But this, when you live there, you get to know that what's happening now there, really in the 1700s, uh, brought this all into uh, effect, uh, 1600s and, and 1700s. There was an uprising of local people uh, to kick out Polish control. And in the meantime, they killed probably 100,000 Jews. And you know there's 300,000 Jewish people who are in great jeopardy right now in Ukraine. And now Israel's trying to organize uh, Aliyah to bring them out of Ukraine. The guy who instigated this death of 100,000 Jews his face is still on the money today. So I'm over in Ukraine, and I'm spending money that is the face of a guy who killed 100,000 Jews. That's kind of annoying. This revolt that happened, they made the mistake of asking Catherine the Great to come and help them out and protect them, and eventually Russia took over Ukraine completely. And uh, what... Two other, well, one thing to mention that's very important about this relationship with Russia. In 1932-33, an event came called the Holodomor. It means in Ukrainian, death hunger, in which some people say 8 to 10 million Ukrainians die. And the New York Times sent over a reporter, very distinguished reporter who was led to fake villages with uh, had everything in the stores. And so uh, they said, New York Times wrote, oh, there's no famine here. Meanwhile, the local guys who didn't want to join collective farming were, uh, all their food was taken away, and they were either shipped to uh, Siberia to die, or they died in the streets of hunger. And when they went to the city, 
to try to get food. You can't get food in the city at those times and up till recently if you weren't registered to live there. So they were, it's like Catch-22. They're, they're not able to eat because they weren't registered and they weren't gonna get rush, uh, registered. So Stalin killed millions of Ukrainians and then brought millions of Russians to live there saying, well, now he's saying basically to the world, well, these, these Russians have always been there, but not so. He had to kill millions of Ukrainians to get Russians to live in those places. Um, and let me tell you one story from Odessa. In October 1941, and this all plays out. <coughs> there was a massacre of some 25,000 to 34,000 Jews. And uh, there was one survivor of that group that was killed. And he was part of the leadership of the Odessa Holocaust Survivors Association, who became a believer and attended our congregation. One survivor. And what did they do? They took all these Jewish people, put them in barracks, and started shooting into the barracks. But the dead protected the living, all the dead bodies. So they burned them all down, burned all the barracks down. So 20, 30,000 people were burned to death, and they, they survivors, including this man, Mikhail, uh, the cries and the smoke of what was happening went out into the city. So this is like, this is serious. And in Babayar, you may have heard of that, the sign there where, let's see, 34,000 Jews were killed. Um, the sign says, and it says, um, many places in Ukraine, here died 34,000 Soviet citizens till the Holocaust Association started getting on them to change it to Jews. Well, there are many Jewish people in Ukraine, some say 300,000, many followers of Yeshua, including in Ukraine and Crimea, 23 IAMCS congregations. They are connected to us. In uh, Hitler's era, he used false pretexts to attack Czechoslovakia and Austria uh, and Poland to protect German citizens. And now it's, we're here to protect Russian citizens. Same lies uh, from a different person. So that wasn't accurate in World War II. It's not accurate now. The Russian people who, uh, uh, well, in Israel, you know, a million Russians emigrated to uh, Israel. And Putin once said, if I have to go to Israel to protect our Russian citizens there, I would do so, meaning through armies. The only thing is the people, the Russians are there, fled Russia because of anti-Semitism uh, and a severely destructive government. So we've had reports um, from cities throughout Ukraine of bombings and uh, but one report today said that uh, when Russians got into a fight with Ukrainians, Ukrainians, they're not about to give up their country and 350 Russian soldiers died in that uh, kind of a thing. So they're beginning to fight back. But let me just say, 
this is not, I was thinking, this is not a James Bond movie. The lives and freedom of the believers in Ukraine, both Jew and Gentile, are at stake. We have had friends there for now 27 years. Last Monday, I was able to get a bank wire to uh, Odessa that Sasha will send out to various uh, congregations in Ukraine and Crimea. Uh, we're going to hopefully that bank thing will still run so we can continue to send um, funds to them. But truthfully, we need to pray uh, very much right now to, for the Lord to intervene in this conflict for this embattled nation of Ukraine. It doesn't belong to Russia. It belongs to the, the Ukrainians. We have had reports uh, uh, that Odessa had been bombed and Russian troops may have landed there. Um, and the uh, day before the invasion on the 22nd, which was my birthday, the leader of the uh, congregation uh, that we helped to found in 1995, he created a YouTube, and maybe we can have that shown uh, right now. And just try, when you see this, Oh, yeah, it's coming right down. When you see this, think about this is the day before the invasion. They, he told me they are having Shabbat services tomorrow for their congregation. And that's in the face of God knows what. Just think if Georgia had been invaded and they decided, well, we're having services anyway. I mean, we, you know, sometimes it's difficult to get through the traffic. They have to get through the Soviet tanks to get to... Uh, to services. So let's let Sasha speak. It's just a couple minutes. Shalom to everyone. Uh, I'm, my name is Alexander. I'm standing here in Odessa city, Ukraine. And uh, Rabbi David Schneier asked me to make short video about situation in uh, Ukraine for this moment. What we have, uh, we have uh, Russian troops now in the northern border of Ukraine. In Belarus, we have the on the eastern border, and uh, yesterday President Putin announced that uh, they uh, already acknowledge uh, two republics, uh, Lugansk and Donetsk. It means that they officially uh, admitting that uh, their regular uh, military forces uh, is there. So and. Um, we have on the southern border, we have Crimea that was uh, taken by Russia and blockaded Black Sea and some many ships could not go out of uh, Ukraine. Uh, and uh, also we have uh, that diplomatic offices were removed from Kiev and, and different cities of Ukraine and uh, moved to the west or to the western Ukraine. So uh, Ukraine now facing many financial losses and many people who could leave their living country to different uh, countries. Uh, each day we face uh, informational war and threat from many sources. So, uh, but in general, people uh, living normal life and trying to be encouraged. Uh, of course, we're praying a lot now for the, our country, for president, for wisdom for many nations, for uh, wisdom, uh, even for American president and the Russian president, that they would uh, actually 
would keep peace and keep uh, shalom and would not uh, provoke any hot war that could happen any moment in Ukraine. Thank you for your attention and blessing and shalom from Ukraine. Sasha is married. He has two children. And he said, we're not leaving. And he lives in a high-rise apartment that don't do well in, when there's warfare in the, in the cities. His wife runs the Holocaust ministry uh, to the survivors. And so what a choice um, that there were they have to make right now. Let me conclude with this one scripture, 2 Corinthians 8, 10 to 11. <clears throat> and in this, I give advice. It is to your advantage not only to be doing what you began and were desiring to do a year ago, but now you must complete the doing of it, that as there was a readiness to desire it, so there also may be a completion out of what you have. And some translation says, perform the doing of it. This is a time to perform the doing of it, to uh, have uh, our country live up to its promises. But also, in a way, there's organizing uh, things going on in the IMCS to continue to help the leaders of these congregations think of the job that they have now to keep a congregation uh, I just remember a verse from a song. Yeshua rose from the dead, but you you can't even get out of bed. Who was that? Keith Green. Keith Green. Yes, he was <laughs> quite a character. Anyway, we this is the time not to just shrug shoulders. We have to be about, about the doing of it to help these folks that are. Well, there's all kinds of folks there. We work with survivors. We work with poor. We work with orphans. They all, one guy was on TV saying, the state's whole thing to support the orphans has just collapsed. What are we going to do? Well, in the old days in, in the United States, it was the body of Messiah that did these kinds of things. So I encourage you to get involved any way you can. Amen and amen. Yeah, wow, boy, I could tell you, you know what, there's a lot of seriousness and kind of somberness to that uh, very, very important message. And friends, we definitely need to be, as people, promise keepers, no question, and, uh, uh, and, and, and certainly even as a country, and, and to see everything that's gone on is tragic for sure. We need to be supporting our, our uh, Ukrainian brothers and sisters, especially those in the Messianic Jewish movement. Uh, what I'd like to do is this, uh, is that I want to go ahead and, uh, and uh, if you're watching online right now, uh, what I'd like for you to do is this, you know, we're giving Rabbi Schneier, uh, just a, not that he asked for, but we're giving him an honorarium for, for coming here today. But also, uh, for those of you who feel led, I'd love to send something through him and his network to our Ukrainian brothers and sisters. Uh, and, uh, and so if you're watching online uh, right now, if you could click the, the PayPal link uh, and, and go to our PayPal, and, and in the memo section, put Ukraine. 
Uh, and, and please give something. Please give generously. We will make sure it gets to uh, the network that we're doing. You know, for, for the long time in the IMCS with our Ukrainian brothers and sisters, we had the Heat or Eat program, which was because sometimes they couldn't afford to do, they had to choose between either heating or eating, uh, as it was with a lot of the, the members of the congregations here in Ukraine. Uh, but now it's, it's, it's like, you know, it's whether or not they're going to live you know, whether or not they're going to have a, a home or a building to go to or, uh, or, or whether or not they'll see their children again. Uh, and so uh, for sure, and for those of you who are here, uh, I'll ask this. Uh, we won't take up a, a separate special offering. I didn't prepare the musicians for it. But in our offering boxes, if the Lord is leading you to, to give a special offering for Ukraine, please write a check or put something, but use one of the envelopes or write in the memo of the section of the check, Ukraine, or use one of the envelopes and write Ukraine on it and just put it in the offering boxes. And we will, we will collect that and we will uh, make sure it gets sent to Ukraine. We, we want to, so please, online, I know we got a lot of people who watch online uh, or listen via podcast. Please, let's, let's give generously to Ukraine. Uh, and so, that can be, you can do that at the end of the service, you can do that during the ending song, you can do that right after the service, but just if you feel led, obviously, whatever you feel, but if you feel led, if you make it out to Beth Hillel, we will make sure we get it to Ukraine. We haven't, we haven't taken up a special offering in a long time here, actually, at Beth Hillel, but man, this is a worthy, it's going to be going to the Messianic community in Ukraine, and, and this is an addition, we're going to, we're going to bless Rabbi Schneier just for, for him coming out here separately. Uh, but but if we want to bless uh, Ukraine, let's do that also. Uh, thank you for your for your generosity and your kindness, uh, and and you know certainly prayers that the Lord. We're going to take just a moment. Michael, come on back up here. But we're going to take a moment now. And we're just going to pray that the Lord touches the people of U- uh, of Ukraine. Okay, uh, we did at the beginning of the service. I want to do it again now uh, because they are under direct threat, especially the Messianic body there, which is so robust and strong. Uh, they are under certainly uh, a difficult time right now. Venus Shabbat Father in heaven, humbly come before you, Lord. Ask you to touch, oh God, the people of Ukraine, Lord. And uh, as Rabbi Schneier said, and thank you for Rabbi Schneier, who gave a dozen years of his own life to the people of Ukraine and the Messianic body there. And, and to me, as I look at the huge network of Messianic congregations in Ukraine, so much of that can be pointed back to uh, the, the amazing investment of Rabbi David and Leslie Schneier. Uh, and so, God, I thank you for them and for uh, ask your blessings on them, their family, uh, our sister congregation in Birmingham, Bethel, Birmingham, uh, but also, Lord, to ask your, your touch on the congregation that he still oversees and, and that network of groups in the Ukraine, Lord God. And uh, uh, and Rabbi Schneier, would you just come up for just a moment one more time and just also add your own prayer for us, uh, leading us uh, for, for these Ukrainian folks. And then we'll, then we'll go ahead and close our service, y'all. Father, thank you for this congregation. Lord, we reach, reach out to our brothers and sisters in an embattled country. It was difficult to live there anyway. It's a lot diffi- more difficult to face 190,000 Russian troops and still hold services. Lord, whatever we can do, and Lord, also make continue the way to be open, <coughs> or let us know when it is open, if it has closed, to uh, as soon as possible, 
uh, send funds to them. They need, they need uh, everything. Can you imagine? Uh, uh, all of us here, can you imagine what it's like? W what's happening with your work? How are you going to buy any food? Father, I just pray that you would uh, continue and expand in the whole body of Messiah in this country the need to help uh, a nation that's under really difficult times. B'Shem Yeshua. Amen. Welcome to this week's message from Rabbi Kevin Solomon, Senior Rabbi of Congregation Beth Hillel in Roswell, Georgia. Beth Hillel is one of the largest Messianic Jewish synagogues in the world and provides a place where Jewish people can find the Messiah, Yeshua, Jesus in Hebrew, and retain their Jewishness. It's also where Gentiles worship and embrace the roots of the faith in drawing closer to God. Click the link in the description to support this ministry or to view our YouTube channel. Let's join Rabbi Kevin now as he shares this word from Scripture.